0: Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Before I start today, another quick reminder that I have a new website. Please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and check it out. We have a new feature there called Roman or Greek of the Week, and the first one is up and running. Also, there you will find a donations button. Please, if you can, donate either a one off sum or monthly. If you donate a one-off sum of $10 or more, then I will send you .pdf copies of all of my three e-books. If you donate £2 a month or more, then you'll get the e-books, and you will also get any e-books that I publish in future. So please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and check it out. Okay, on with the show. The Myths and History of Greece and Rome, Chapter 137, Angels of Destruction Andronicus Comnenus had shown in his short reign that he had all the capability to be a good emperor for his people if he used his powers for good. Sadly, he was also paranoid and completely bonkers, so his powers were not used for good, they were most definitely used for evil. Virtually every man, woman and child in the empire was quaking in his or her boots. Nobody wanted to step out of line for fear of retribution, Probably the dogs, cats and even the rats were keeping their heads down too. Andronicus the Terrible himself went to see a fortune teller that told him that a cousin of his would be his successor. Although this cousin was an inoffensive nobody, a furious Andronicus of course immediately sent his agents around to arrest the poor man. When they arrived though, the poor man hid in his house. The emperor's agents completely trashed the house and the courtyard and yelled menacingly for him to turn himself in. He hid for a long time, but they didn't go away. Eventually he'd had enough. He realised he was a dead man anyway, so he may as well go out in style. He legged it out of his hiding place to his stable and jumped on his horse, making as much noise as possible. He drew his sword and killed one of the imperial assassins. The others scattered. He galloped out of his house and made for the Hagia Sophia. It was a very breathless man that arrived at the church. He knew that under this most terrible of emperors, he wasn't even safe there, so he appealed to the congregation. Thedol had enough of the terror of Andronicus, and he was supported by virtually everyone. The next morning he was crowned, and that is how Isaac Angelus became one of the least likely emperors of the Roman Empire. Isaac and his mob broke into the prisons, letting all of the rebels held captive by the empire go, and headed to the imperial palace. Andronicus, mad and bad as he was, was a very brave man, and he resisted as long as he could. He ordered his bowmen to fire at the crowd, but they hesitated, so he grabbed a bow himself and launched arrows at the rebels. He soon realised he was in an impossible position, so he threw off his imperial robes, grabbed his wife and his favourite girlfriend, and scarpered. He managed to get to a boat, but he didn't get much further. He was captured, bound in chains, and brought before the new emperor. Isaac cut off his right hand and blinded him in his right eye. He then mounted Andronicus on a mangy camel and let the mob have him. After inflicting a lot of pain on the old emperor, they hung him upside down by one of his feet and threw things at him. Every time he was hit, he simply said, "O Lord, have pity on me. Why do you trample on a poor reed who is already quite broken? Andronicus Comnenus died on the 12th of September 1185, having reigned over two of the bloodiest years in imperial history. He was 67 years old. Andronicus the Terrible was definitely terrible. He was mad and violent, but he was also brave and had completely eliminated corruption in the empire. With his death, the dynasty of the Comneni came to an end. The family had ruled over the empire for a 104 years, most of them very successful. Even in 1185, the empire was still strong enough to prosper, if it had been led well. The new emperor did what Andronicus should have done. He gathered up the five scattered armies and put them all under the control of Alexius Branas. The imperial soldiers immediately gained a new spirit and the Sicilian army, who had relaxed too much when they thought they had won, were beaten. The Sicilians still held Thessalonica and they asked for peace. Isaac agreed but went back on his agreement and massacred the Sicilian army. The empire was saved for now but this act of treachery would have terrible consequences. Isaac Angelus had won a battle and founded a new dynasty. The victory over the Sicilians was, though, the last good thing that the new dynasty would do for the empire. The Angelai would prove to be the worst family ever to sit on the imperial throne. They threw away the empire's remaining strength and eventually presided over its almost total destruction. It must be noted that Isaac Angelus was never meant to be emperor. His family were never important and would never have become important without a great deal of luck. They got that luck when one of Alexius' first daughters fell in love with a man called Constantine Angelus. They married and had a son who also had sons. Isaac was one of them. There was never greatness in the family and Isaac would not bring greatness to the family while he was emperor. His elder brother Alexius would somehow manage to be even worse when his term came. Neither of them had any training in how to rule and rule well, so perhaps we should not be surprised. It was not only the foolishness and incompetence of the Angeli that would bring down the empire. Some of Manuel's mistakes would come back to haunt it, some of the empire's enemies would choose their times to attack, and one great Saracen Sultan would smash the Crusader states, leading to soldiers from the west trampling through the empire again. It was a combination of these events and the cleverness of one man who had vowed revenge that would send the Byzantine Empire spiralling down towards collapse. After his accession, Isaac Angelus tried his best for a while. After blinding both of the sons of Andronicus Comnenus, he agreed a treaty with King Bela III of Hungary and married the king's daughter. He fought off some rebellions, but was unable to stop Bulgaria declaring itself independence, and Serbia soon following. Then, Isaac Angelus began to enjoy himself. This may sound like a good thing, but it certainly wasn't. Enjoying himself for Isaac meant spending and spending big, mostly on parties and gifts for his friends. Pretty soon the treasury, so recently filled up by Andronicus the Terrible, became emptier and emptier until there was not a lot left. This meant the emperor needed money, but there was no way of getting it. Isaac introduced terrible new taxes, but there still wasn't enough. He soon resorted to selling the best jobs to those who could pay for them. Corruption, virtually wiped out by Andronicus, came back. Nobody was happy with this, but nobody knew it was all going to get much, much worse. More rebellions happened, and Isaac showed he was not only useless and corrupt, but also had a mad, cruel streak in him. After one rebellion, Isaac snapped and had the rebel leader beheaded. He then amused himself by kicking the head around the palace. When he'd had enough of this little game, he had the mangled head packed up and sent to the poor man's wife. After this little episode, he marched off to Bulgaria at the head of a large army, but was ambushed and only just escaped with his life. It was rather a shame that he did. In 1187, less than three years into the reign of Isaac Angelus, the first disastrous thing happened that would set off a chain of events that would bring down the empire. This event was not Isaac's fault, but how he dealt with what happened afterwards definitely was. In 1183, King Baldwin IV of Jerusalem had died, leaving a small boy as his heir. It's not hard to guess what's going to happen here, is it? By 1185 things were looking shaky. The Saracen Sultan, Saladin, had become the most powerful of the Muslim leaders in the region and was making trouble. Baldwin IV agreed a peace treaty which held while he was alive, but collapsed soon after he died. The Patriarch of Jerusalem decided the kingdom needed a strong leader, and so he travelled far away to ask the most powerful king in Europe to take control of it. Unfortunately, the most powerful king in Europe decided he had too much to do at home to have any more put on his plate. And who was this king? It was none other than the great Henry II of England. A few years later though his son would be only too glad to go. In May 1187 Saladin declared a holy war against the crusader states. This holy war was a bit like a Muslim crusade and was called a jihad. Saladin and the Saracens quickly took Tiberias and soon had Nablus, Beirut, Jaffa and Sidon under their rule. The Sultan was ready to march on Jerusalem, and, after a 12-day battle, the holy city fell. Saladin was the most brilliant ruler of his age. He showed, like all great rulers do, mercy and goodwill towards the enemy citizens of the city. No Christians were murdered, and no Christian property was looted or stolen. When the Christians had taken the city in 1099, there had been horrible bloodshed and a massacre of Muslims. When the Muslims took it back in 1187, there was peace and liberty for everyone. Both Christian and Muslim people noticed the difference. None of this mattered in the Christian West, though. It is said that the Pope, Urban III, died of shock when he heard the news, and the next Pope, Gregory VIII, called on the people of Christendom to march to the Holy Land and liberate the Holy City. The Third Crusade had begun. In order to manage the crusading armies, Isaac would need all the diplomatic skills of Alexius and Manuel Comnenus. The crusade was to be led by men who had no love for the empire and would be powerful enough to damage it very badly if they chose to. William the Good of Sicily had been defeated by Isaac's army after a nasty bit of trickery. Frederick Barbarossa, the Holy Roman Emperor, still blamed Manuel and the empire for the disaster of the Second Crusade. The other two leaders were Richard the Lionheart, King of England, and Philip Augustus, King of France. Neither of them was too fond of the empire either. Now, did Isaac Angelus have the diplomatic skills of Alexius or Manuel? Well, no, of course he didn't. Fortunately, William the Good died before he could set out, and Philip and Richard decided to sail to the Holy Land. Only Frederick chose to march via Constantinople. But even one crusading army was too much for Isaac he sent envoys to the German Emperor offering food and support. There were rumours though that Frederick was intending to invade the empire and when 150,000 men marched into imperial territory, Isaac Angelus panicked. First he cut off the food supply and then he attacked the Crusaders with his army. Isaac had the envoys seized and thrown into prison. Frederick was much more furious and sent envoys to the Pope asking for permission to fight the empire and then he let his army loose on Thrace occupying Adrianople. Isaac panicked again and released all the prisoners, telling Frederick that he was very, very sorry. Frederick angrily agreed to stop the ravaging and the German army was ferried across the Bosphorus. Nice one, Isaac. Not. Fortunately for the Emperor, Frederick got a bit hot one day in Asia Minor and rode ahead of his army to take a swim in the river. The waters swept away the Holy Roman Emperor, who was, after all, nearly 70. He was rescued, but it was too late. Frederick Barbarossa had drowned. Most of his army lost the will to fight, and although some made it to the Holy Land to meet up with Richard and Philip, most died or went home. The Third Crusade was not as big a disaster as the Second. Acre, Tyre and Jaffa were retaken, but Jerusalem was not, and so it was still a miserable failure. Richard I of England got bored with fighting after a year and so he made a truce with Saladin and declared any future crusade should attack the Muslims in Egypt first, as this is where they were weakest. Isaac had managed the third crusade about as badly as was possible, but he'd got away with it through sheer undeserved luck. He decided to launch another campaign against the Bulgarians and brought together another large army. Before setting out though, he and his son went on a hunting trip. Now, We all know that hunting trips have caused the downfall of many an emperor. Poor old John Comnenus had died after being hit by an arrow. Poor young Romanus II had been killed in a hunting accident. Isaac Angelus on the other hand was overthrown by his own elder brother. Alexius Angelus was three years older than Isaac and had been given the role of Sebastocrator by his younger brother. He took the opportunity of the emperor being otherwise engaged to declare himself the leader. The soldiers supported him, and when Isaac and his son, also rather confusingly called Alexius, returned, they were seized and thrown into prison. Isaac, of course, was blinded, so he was no longer fit to be emperor. As we have seen, Isaac Angelus was a terrible emperor. We can only congratulate Alexius Angelus, then, for managing to be much worse. Frederick Barbarossa had been succeeded by his son, Henry VI, as Holy Roman Emperor, he demanded that the empire pay money to make up for what had happened to his father's troops during a third crusade. He then demanded even more money to pay for his mercenary troops. Alexius was terrified, and put in place a really awful tax to pay Henry. When this didn't raise enough, he took precious stones and ornaments from the tombs of the emperors in the Church of the Holy Apostles. Two years later, he allowed his niece to marry Henry's brother, Philip. Nothing that Alexius Angelus did was good for the empire. Although he had virtually no money left, he managed to spend loads on, among other things, parties and lovely gardens. He spent all of his time enjoying himself and none of it protecting the empire. The Turks overran Anatolia and the Bulgarians raided Thrace. Alexius III looked the other way and let it all happen. He even managed to have such a bad guard on his imperial prisoners that Alexius, son of Isaac, escaped and fled to the west. By 1201, the empire was on the point of collapse, and it would only take a little push to make it collapse. And in 1201, the little push happened. In 1198, Pope Innocent III, who was determined to avenge the taking of Jerusalem, had declared yet another crusade. It had taken a little while to get off the ground, but by 1201, the fourth crusade was in full flow. Richard I had died, ...but he had been so respected that his view that attacking Egypt was the right way of going about it was agreed upon. All the crusading armies needed was ships, and there was one place where they could get enough ships. Yes, that one place was the Republic of Venice. It is in the Republic of Venice that the seed of the destruction of the empire was sown... ...and it is here that we meet the crafty old man, bent on revenge, who had been responsible for the fall of Constantinople. The Doge of Venice was a man in his 90s who was very nearly blind... He was, though one of the most calculating and clever rulers the Republic had ever known. thirty years earlier he had been the ambassador to the Roman Empire and had objected strongly when Manuel Comnenus had imprisoned the Venetians. His name was Enrico Dandolo, and his time for revenge had come. Next time we'll find out what form that revenge takes, and next time we'll actually be in three weeks' time rather than two because in two weeks I'm going to be away for the weekend so. Until then, have a great three weeks and I'll speak to you next time.